Welcome to New York Public Health Now, where we talk about the why so you can decide what to do. Hello, I am Dr. Jim McDonald, Commissioner of the New York State Department of Health. Talking to you today from the 14th floor in the Corning Tower, overlooking Empire State Plaza here in downtown Albany. Another bright sunny day here in the Capital District in the middle of December as we record today's episode. We're discussing a very timely topic as we visit with family and friends, and that's all things flu, flu influenza. We're going to talk about it today, and we're going to talk as well about the flu vaccine. Before we jump into that, I first want to introduce my co-host of the New York Public Health Now is our acting Executive Deputy Commissioner, Joanne Morin. Joanne, how are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you, Dr. McDonald. Always a pleasure to join you. Yeah, it's good to have you. Also today, joining us in our conversation about the flu is Brian Backinson. Brian is our in-house expert on infectious diseases and is a vector-borne epidemiologist with over 20 years of experience. Also, some really interesting hobbies outside of work. Brian, thank you for joining us today. Hello, Commissioner. Thanks for the warm welcome. So I want to hear about the hobbies later. Just let's keep that in the top of our mind here. So that's good. So, you know, I appreciate you coming today. Talk to us about the flu. What we can all do to help keep ourselves and those around us healthy during the winter holiday season. Uh, I am glad that's the holiday season. We're all gathering together again. Post-pandemic, I I really don't ever take this for granted. Brian, as we get underway, would you mind just telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, I've been with the department for uh, 28 years now. Um, I have been working in public health for a little over 30. Um, Almost all of my time has been working on infectious diseases. Uh, My experience in general started off with working with vector-borne diseases, uh, Lyme disease in particular. Um, I've done pretty much everything there is to do with Lyme disease from going out and catching ticks to testing them in the lab and testing human samples and um, have been uh, working on the epidemiology of it ever since. And then since then, I've expanded into uh, West Nile virus and then now into kind of all communicable diseases that we do in the Bureau of Communicable Disease Control. Wow. Yes, that's quite a lot. Um, Can you talk about, I mean, what brought you to public service in the State Department of Health? When I was back in college, um, well, and before that, I was one of those kids that was always in the woods turning over rocks and you know trying to play with bugs and things like that and at some point in time realized that I couldn't make a living out of doing that Um, but I also realized that really what I wanted to do uh, was make a difference and making a difference to me was um, I didn't want to be a physician but what I really wanted to do was public health I wanted to work with populations and try and see what we could do to try and reduce the number of cases of disease Um, I didn't even hear the word epidemiology probably until my junior or senior year of college, there were very few schools of public health uh, back then in the dark ages. and um, But now, obviously, there's plenty. But I, I stumbled into this particular field, and it fit me perfectly. You know, Brian, we've already talked about the word epidemiologist a couple of times already, and I'm not really sure the word epidemiologist is really on top of mind for the general public. And I'm not sure if people even know what an epidemiologist is. And could you just talk a little bit about what is an epidemiologist, you know, and, and use flu as an example, if you don't mind. An epidemiologist, I mean, there's a lot of different definitions of an epidemiologist. Um, In general, it's someone who studies disease in person, place, and time. It's someone who basically looks for trends, someone who looks for trying to figure out 
why a certain disease is happening in a certain population. Is it happening in um, a certain geography? Is it happening in one particular area or another particular area at one particular time of the year or another particular time of year? But I think the main thing, the important part of epidemiology is we take what we learn there and we then try and turn it into action. One of the things I always tell folks is what our job is to try and detect pathogens and then prevent their spread. In general, what it is we try to do is we try and find something when there's two or three or four or five cases and stop it before it turns into 20 or 30 or 300 or 400 or 500 or 1,000. And that's what we do in, in epidemiology. With flu, it's a little bit different um, because there's just so many flu cases. And there is a specific flu season uh, that happens year after year after year. It's this particular season we're in now. It starts in you know roughly October and it runs through the uh, late spring. Um, it's one of those things that we try to uh, track trends, try and figure out which particular flu is out uh, currently. We try and get people to get vaccinated because that's a really good primary way to uh, either protect yourself from getting flu or protect yourself from getting uh, a really bad case of flu. And we try and then work with populations in order to try and make sure that they can do things to, to prevent spread to others. Yeah, it's, it's, I like the way you explain that. It, it's funny, I think sometimes of epidemiologists as disease detectives, if you will, a little Sherlock Holmes of public health, and also a little bit of like disease teachers, because a lot of times you don't just keep track of things, but actually explaining to the rest of us what is going on and, you know, looking at population health. And there's a term we use in public health called surveillance. And when you think about influenza and surveillance, what does surveillance mean when it means we talk about influenza, but where do we get that information? Yeah, surveillance can be a scary word sometimes. I mean, you know, and if it's used in law enforcement or something like that, it sometimes has a different connotation. But for us, surveillance is basically keeping our finger on the pulse of what's going on with regards to disease across the state. Uh, we have a number of different mechanisms that we use to try and keep a handle on the number of cases of any particular disease, including flu. Uh, we get reports from doctors. We get reports from laboratories when someone tests positive at a lab. Uh, we can do things like look at birth records, death records. Uh, sometimes we get information on uh, prescription drugs that are being prescribed. And all that, what it does is it kind of gives us a handle on what's going on. It lets us know where we're seeing disease, what types of disease we're seeing, is it strong enough to put people into a hospital? All those things are, are kind of components of, of surveillance. But again, the way that I think about it, it's our, our way of kind of keeping track of what's going on. And the only way we know that if something is getting better or getting worse is to kind of know what the baseline is. And knowing that baseline, knowing having that disease information sort of come to us on a regular basis called surveillance is the way that we can do that. It lets us know what's going on, but it also lets us know if something happens or we do something, if we're making a difference or not. Brian, let's shift for just a moment and, and talk about infection severity. And maybe you could do a comparison uh, talking about, you know, for the average person, how does it feel to have the flu versus having a common cold? Yeah, we lump these diseases together, and now we lump COVID in as well. Flu, COVID, and and um, uh, the common cold as all respiratory diseases, but. Uh, they are different. The flu is the one that probably is the most obvious. When you get the flu, you're hit like you were hit by a truck. Um, it happens very abruptly. Usually there's a strong fever that goes along with it. Uh, you wind up with chills, with body aches. You really, really feel terrible. Um, but the biggest two things with regards to the flu are that rapid, sudden onset and fever. Uh, with a common cold, it's usually much more gradual. You get more of the sneezing, runny nose type of things, the things that make you feel bad, but you can still kind of go about your life and go about your business. 
the flu, on the other hand, when you've got the flu, you know it. Oh, yes. You know, we're going to talk a little bit about flu vaccine. We've been vaccinating against the flu every year since 1945. So we've been doing flu vaccines since really the end of World War II. We do it every year. But can you talk a little bit about why we vaccinate people against the flu? Um, people tend to think that, um, you know, we've been doing things forever, and perhaps to some people 1945 is forever. Uh, being able to vaccinate people against certain diseases is was a grand change for public health. It allowed us to try and prevent diseases that made so many people sick and killed so many people. Uh, people remember the, or at least know stories about the pandemic flu from 1918, which killed millions of individuals. Um, and when we were able to finally prevent cases of flu uh, through vaccination, um, it became a kind of a regular yearly annual uh, method that we do to try and prevent cases. Um, flu, as we just talked about, uh, can really put you down for a week uh, or so. It can really, really impact your your life um, and those around you. And it does uh, kill a substantial number of people every year. So it's one of those things that if we can prevent that and we can, um, through vaccination, it's something that is, is really, really important to be able to do. It lets people continue to go to school. It lets people continue to go to work. It lets people continue to you know have gatherings and be around one another without necessarily having to worry about uh, spreading a flu to, to, to their family, friends, and their community. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I think about is just how it's good at preventing severity of disease. And I think you know, when you think about how many people are in the hospital right now from COVID, it's, we're around 1,700, whereas with flu, it's less than half that amount. Right now, every day in New York, about 10 people dying every day related to COVID, whereas we've had about 36 deaths so far in, in the whole season so far. So it just, it's flu doesn't nearly have the threat to someone's life or hospitalization, but it's important to get the vaccine so you do prevent that. I mean, COVID's much worse, but I think it really highlights that part of why you know, we're so stressed with COVID is it's so much worse than the flu. Uh, so if you vaccinate against the flu, it's one less thing to worry about. Of course, we're like you to vaccinate against COVID too. So, you know, Brian, I'm thinking that for some of the people who are listening right now, they, they actually might be thinking, okay, that makes sense for individuals who perhaps have an underperforming or weaker immune system, you know, like children or older individuals. But can you talk a little bit about, like, why would it be important for a healthy average, you know, even middle-aged person to get an annual flu vaccination? So that they can so they can continue to, to um, help out their children, so they can continue to help out their parents, so that they're not necessarily impacted by the flu as well. Uh, everyone is susceptible to getting the flu. Uh, certain individuals, younger folks, older folks, are really susceptible to the really, really severe symptoms and potentially life-threatening symptoms from flu. Um, but those of us in the middle are those who care for those individuals, and we're the ones that are relied on for, um, you know, to, again, to take care of them, to, to go to work, keep being able to put food on the table and things like that. And doing something as simple as, as getting the flu shot um, can either protect yourself from getting flu or protect yourself from getting severe symptoms of flu. And so it's, it's one, again, one of those things that we recommend. It's very easy. The vaccination, as we've talked about, has been around for a really, really long time. Uh, the vaccines have gotten better over the years. Uh, in the beginning, it was one of those vaccines that, you know, there was a certain kind of a guess factor, if you will, to whether or not the flu vaccine would match the flu that was going to be around that particular year. But now if people have gotten vaccinated and heard their, their pharmacist or their doctor talk about you're getting a quadrivalent flu vaccine, it means that you're getting vaccinated against four strains of flu, 
Whereas, you know, when I was a kid, you were getting vaccinated against one or maybe two strains of flu. So the vaccines now are much, much better. They have a really, really long history. We know that they're, you know, safe and effective in, in, in doing this. And it, again, it's just one of those reasons why we recommend that everyone above six months of age um, gets a flu vaccination on a yearly basis. As we continue our conversation with Brian Backinson, we're currently in mid-December, you know, and as we think about New York State, we just recently declared the state widespread regarding flu. Can you explain what that means to be widespread for flu in New York State? So it gets back a little bit to what we talked about a few minutes ago about surveillance um, and trying to keep track of what's going on in the state. And uh, we use that surveillance to kind of let us know geographically where flu is active. And once we reach certain thresholds, once we've seen a certain amount of flu in the population and we see it in a certain number of counties, we say that everyone is at risk of getting flu across the across the New York State. And that's when we say that it's widespread. It sort of kind of ups the ante, if you will, to basically let people know that this is something that we're seeing across the state. You can get it anywhere. And it's in many ways, it's a trigger to try and let individuals know that they should try and take precautions, including getting vaccinated uh, against flu. Getting vaccinated at any point in time uh, during flu season is helpful, but the earlier you can get it done, uh, the better. Usually there's two waves of flu that happen. Uh, one is uh, flu A, um, which impacts uh, adults more. Uh, flu B tends to happen, well, flu A usually runs through about February or so. Uh, flu B is kind of a, a second uh, wave that typically happens in, in February, March, and April. It's a little bit less, but it has more likely to impact children at that particular point in time. So there's still definitely time to wind up getting vaccinated and now right again before uh, uh, Christmas and, and uh, New Year's and other holidays where we're going to wind up seeing an awful lot of people, it's a good time to get it done and it's widely available. And this year's flu vaccination really seems to be matching what it is that we're seeing in the people that we know who have already had flu. That match is great. So can we talk just basics for a moment? How does the flu get spread? It gets spread uh, through uh, droplets of air. So again, coughing, sneezing, being close to someone, um, you know, that, that, um, uh, that sort of you know airborne type of, of transmission that we're so familiar with from just dealing with three to four years of COVID. Uh, transmission is the exact same way with regards to flu as it was to COVID. So again, those same things that we talked about in the past about covering your, covering your mouth, coughing into your elbow, um, using good sort of respiratory hygiene can help reduce that spread from someone who already has symptoms. Yeah, and Brian, I want to shift the questions around a little bit. I have a schnoodle at home, a schnauzer poodle mix. Her name is Daisy, and I actually think more often than not, I share a home with her. And I'm just curious, should we be worried about getting flu from dogs like Daisy or cats or any other pets we might have? Or my corgi, Cagley. Um, no, uh, we shouldn't. I mean, dogs can get flu. Um, but again, it's not necessarily one of those things where uh, where they can transmit to us. Um, you know, they're the, the type of flu that you wind up seeing in, in dogs is, is different than what it is that we wind up seeing in people. One of the things that people may hear about in the news is hear about bird flu or hear about avian flu um, and hearing about, you know, that a couple of years ago, there were some concerns about that and, and you know, whether or not turkeys would be available for Thanksgiving. Um, 
you know, one of the ways that flu happens is we wind up seeing it move from animals into people, um, particularly pigs and in some cases birds in other parts of the world. And again, this is why that surveillance that we had talked about a little bit earlier is so important for us to kind of keep an eye on what's going on and then using our friends at Wadsworth to kind of let us know sort of what we're learning with regards to those particular flu strains that we see. Yeah, so Brian, let's shift our conversation right now to this flu season. And I'm thinking about that old expression, if you've seen one flu season, you've seen one flu season. Uh, But, you know, you've been around a long time. You've seen a lot of flu seasons. You went through the pandemic with us. What What does this flu season look like so far to you? So far, this particular flu season, it looks normal, for lack of a better word. Um, It is, you know, we're starting to see flu flu cases increase. We're seeing less flu this year than we did last year, which is good. Um, Flu typically will wind up going up and peaking. That particular flu A strain, that first wave, if you will, will usually wind up peaking in January and it'll start to drop off. That that, uh, flu B, that kind of second wave, uh, typically is is lower and it usually starts in February. There's some overlap between the two. Um, So far, what we're seeing with regard the flu is that it started later this year than it did last year and the number of cases that we're seeing is less this year than last year as well but like you had just said when you've seen one flu season you've seen one flu season and we definitely have seen seasons in the past that started slow and then really took off later on so we shouldn't necessarily take the that this season so far is less than it was last season as an indication that the rest of the flu season is going to wind up being that way as well. So again, doing those those types of precautions and getting vaccinated uh, can try and keep it as low as it currently seems to be. So Brian, I want to circle back. You were talking earlier uh, about surveillance and looking at hospitalization. What's the relevance? Why is it important to look at the hospitalizations? A couple of different reasons. First of all, hospitalizations are some of our best data. Um, You know, you or I get flu. We may not go to our doctor. We may not necessarily get tested for flu. Somebody who is in a hospital is going to wind up getting tested, and it kind of gives us a good indication of of how severe that flu is. And, And the other part of it is knowing how many people are in the hospital is important as well. Uh, hospitals are a limited resource in many ways around the state in terms of the number of beds and so forth that are available. And for us keeping, our, again, our finger on the pulse of what's going on with hospitalizations, with flu, and with other diseases gives us an idea to be able to help plan and say we're seeing an increase in this. You know, hospitals may have to adjust what it is that they're doing to provide more beds or, or things like that. So hospitalizations are very important for us for everything, but for a disease like flu, that can have kind of rapid upswings, it's really important to keep our finger on the pulse of what's going on with regards to that. So then can you make a comparison for me, uh, whether we're talking about hospitalizations, and unfortunately, if we're talking about deaths, are we seeing more hospitalizations and deaths attributed to flu versus COVID or how do the numbers look? So in general, the, the general thought nationally is, you know, CDC talks about the, the numbers of, of flu deaths, and it's usually in the twenty to 40,000 number range, which may be a surprise to a lot of people. You know, if we look nationally, just seeing that many individuals dying from flu that most of us think flu is uh, just something we have to deal with, that's a big number. It's a less number than it was during the early days of COVID. COVID obviously has evolved and has changed a little bit as time goes on. Um, But even right now, the number of hospitalizations that we're seeing for COVID is higher 
than it is for flu. Um, again, you know, things may change a little bit as, as, as time goes on, but um, at least for now, you know, hospitalizations, whether it be for flu or for COVID, no matter what, if you're the one hospitalized, uh, that's important to you. It's important to you. It's a big deal. You know, Brian, it's been fun to have you with us today, and we're coming to the close in our time together. But you said you have interesting hobbies. Can we just have a couple examples of interesting hobbies? Uh, I mean, I don't know. One of the things that I typically wind up doing when I'll send an email to you guys and let you know that I'm not going to be here for a couple of days, I'll usually tell you what I'm doing, I think, which is where this comes from. Um, And, you know, one of the things I've I've done is is a number of kind of long distance motorcycle rides. Um, It's one of those things I've gone to as far north as Newfoundland and ridden around in Newfoundland. I've gone as far south as Texas, um, you know, as far out west uh, through Canada, out to Thunder Bay and other places. You do this alone or with people? My brother and I typically wind awesome. up doing, and it's yeah. it's it's great. You stay at cheap hotels and, you know, just don't really know what you're going to run into along the way. To see America. Coming across it. a moose on a motorcycle <laughs> can be a little bit of a scary yeah, thing from time yeah, to time, would be. but yeah. Yeah, you know, I've, I've actually seen moose in the wild, but I've never really seen a moose on a motorcycle because I have never been a motorcycle. <laughs> I guess I'm not a motorcycle guy. That's just me. This has been fun talking to you about flu. And I think as we just summarize our time together, we talk about the why. You know, it's flu season and flu spreads from person to person. And you know, I want to keep people out of the hospital. I want people to enjoy time with their family. Flu vaccine's a great way to do that. Available at drugstores, physicians, wherever people go. So I think that's part of the why you look at a flu vaccine. Keep those emails coming. We've heard from so many of you with topic suggestions for future episodes. And I really enjoy reading your thoughts on our previous episodes. So keep those emails coming. Our email address is publichealthnowpodcast at health.ny.gov. That's Public Health Now podcast at health.ny.gov. I'm Dr. Jim McDonald. I'm Joanne Morin. And I'm Brian Backinson. And thank you for listening.